I'm James Briarton. A new episode of the Carolina Weather Group is coming up. But first, an invite. I hope you'll join me this Saturday at the Shield Museum of Natural History in Gastonia, North Carolina, for their weatherproof event from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. It's just to the west of Charlotte. You may have seen it on our channels before. We're happy to be invited back. There's going to be fun and educational things for the kids to do there at the museum, including trying your hand at our green screen. So if you want to try doing the weather, just like your favorite broadcast meteorologist, then join Frank Strait and I at the Shield Museum in Gastonia starting at 10 a.m. on this Saturday, July 15th. Can't wait to see you there. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Happy to have you this evening. And we are joined by Miss Wendy Bone, who is a geologist who is uh, really talking about earthquakes. And I know here Pat, in the past, we, we've talked about earthquakes and kind of the earthquake that's been earthquakes that's been happening in South Carolina. But here recently, we've seen a swarm of earthquakes in Western North Carolina. So we're going to kind of re -go, rehash and re go over what earthquakes are and kind of like are they normal for the Carolinas or is this kind of abnormal activity? I know Frank and I have probably seen a lot of uh, back and forth on social media about, hey, should we be worried, you know, from people who are freaking out because we're seeing earthquakes? So we're going to try to ease your mind or maybe give you some knowledge on why these earthquakes are happening. So, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, I know it's been pretty busy for you uh, here recently, I've been seeing some of your tweets and stuff about the earthquakes that's been going on in Western North Carolina. But before we dive into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and kind of tell us how uh, you got started into uh, wanting to study about earthquakes. So I had a little bit of a circuitous route to earthquakes. I was a professional actress. My first college degree was in theater, although I did have a geology major as well. I was interested in caves. Then I moved out to Hollywood and, you know, was an actress and did that whole thing. And then I felt the Hector Mine earthquake, which was a magnitude 7.1 out in the desert. And I was fascinated. So I went, started volunteering at the USGS uh, Earthquake Hazards Program. Eventually they hired me and I worked there doing outreach and education, talking to people in earthquake prone regions about why earthquakes happen, how you can be prepared for them and decided that's really what I wanted to do. So I went back to school and got a master's degree and a PhD in earthquake geology. And now it's my job to study earthquakes and to talk to people about earthquakes and other rapid onset geologic hazards, you know, like earthquakes or landslides, volcanic eruptions and tsunamis. That's really awesome because I think people have this preconceived notion that um, they've seen, um, what is it, uh, the earthquake movie with the rock in it and uh, San, <laughs> San Andreas. Yeah. Uh, we've had several volcano earthquake movies. So I think a lot of people, when they hear volcanoes or earthquakes, like their attention or mind draws to what they've seen from Hollywood. Uh, but most of the time, we'll put air quotes, they're not as bad as what Hollywood, Hollywood is kind of dramatizing them to be. We have hundreds of thousands of earthquakes uh, that occur around the world every single year. Most of those are too small to feel, but they are not too small to be measured by really sensitive seismic instruments. And so while we think about earthquakes happening mainly in places like California, Alaska, Japan, Indonesia, they can happen just about anywhere. And so it's important for all of us to remember that even though we may not have earthquakes where we live regularly, we can all feel shaking from an earthquake. So it's important to know, you know, what to do and why those things happen. 
And if you're not used to feeling earthquake shaking, it can be really scary. So it's understandable that people in North Carolina are a little bit freaked out about what's happening because it's, you know, a little bit outside of the experience of most folks. And Frank, you have a firsthand experience of the shaking there in the Columbia area. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a year ago when we had uh, the swarm of earthquakes uh, ongoing uh, off to our east in Elgin, uh, the the two uh, largest of the two are, are the two largest of the, the swarm occurred in the same day, and I felt both of them. Uh, one was a magnitude 3.5 and one was a magnitude 3.6, if I remember correctly. One occurred early in the afternoon. I was at work at the time uh, in Columbia, uh, right behind the state houses where my office is, and uh, I felt that one, and so did everybody else in the office. And then uh, the one that occurred that evening, uh, I felt as well from home. Uh, a little bit farther away from the epicenter on that one. So I didn't feel that one quite as quite as much as I did the one uh, from downtown Columbia. But uh, nonetheless, I, I have experience with those earthquakes. <laughs> Normally, Frank's asking the questions, but I'm going to ask both of you this question because I personally have not experienced this shaking of an earthquake. And maybe a lot of those folks who are listening or watching tonight may have not felt that experience either. Can both of you, since both of you have felt the shaking, kind of talk us through what what all... Um, you what all it feels like, and Wendy, you you may know a little bit or feel a little bit more violent shaking than Frank has in South Carolina. But what's it like going through an earthquake? Well, I've actually been through three earthquakes, Scotty. Um, the the, the right, first the one, one, yeah, yeah, the first one I experienced yeah. was yeah, the one that occurred in Virginia. Uh, that one was uh, definitely felt in State College. That's probably the most significant shaking uh, I've ever felt. I worked for AccuWeather at the time, and uh, that one started. And and the thing that that sticks out about the earthquake as much as, as the shaking and the experience of going through it was the really just weird feeling that I had about four or five seconds before the real shaking started. It just felt a little disoriented and, and strange. And I'm like, you know, it felt like something weird was happening, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then the shaking, the noticeable shaking started and went on for 10 or 12 seconds. And, and that was probably the most significant shaking I've ever felt from an earthquake. Um, and it definitely got my attention, uh, at, at AccuWeather, uh, in addition to being able to truly feel the shaking that went on for, like I said, at least 10 seconds, maybe 12 or so. Um, I also felt, I mean, you could hear things shaking in the building, uh, at the time AccuWeather had a TV studio, just a, an open TV studio right next to where I worked and there was lights that were hung from the ceiling and those made a lot of noise when they were being shaken. Um, so that's, that's the most significant shaking. And, and it was kind of funny because one of our, one of the AccuWeather's employees, he's retired now, but uh, at the time he was uh, a telecommuter and worked in Southern California, but he was visiting headquarters in state college at the time. So we were joking around that he brought the earthquake to the state college with him. Um, but anyway, that's the the first earthquake I felt uh, years ago. I can't remember the date exactly, uh, but the ones last year, they were less significant, the shaking. Uh, the first one that happened early in the afternoon, the shaking went on for maybe five or six seconds. And you know, it was minor shaking with a couple of little jolts. Uh, the second one that happened in, in the evening, I noticed that one more from sound than from shaking. I heard noise that went on, a roaring sound that went on for 
again, five, six, maybe eight seconds and a little bit of shaking toward the end. And it was the kind of roaring that I wasn't really sure what it was, even though I felt some shaking too. It wasn't until I walked outside and looked around a little bit and saw nothing happening outside that it dawned on me. That was probably an earthquake, (laughs) another one. (laughs) So uh, those are my experiences with earthquakes. Yeah. So what's interesting about what you said is I could guess how far away you are from those earthquakes based on your description of what you felt. So when people describe earthquakes, what they feel, even from the same earthquake, is going to be different depending on where they are. Um, Both the the building that they're in matters, their distance away from the earthquake matters, and the local rock and soil that they're on matters, along with the magnitude of the earthquake. So when you're close to an earthquake, people will often describe it as jolting. You know, you said it was a couple of big jolts, and then it was over. Mm -hmm. That's because you're feeling all of the waves from the earthquake. So every earthquake releases energy in the form of waves, all the same kinds of waves every time. And when you're close to the earthquake, those waves haven't had time to spread out much. So you kind of feel them all at the same time. When you're farther away from the earthquake, people will often describe it as more rolling. And they'll often say that they felt seasick or felt disoriented before they felt the shaking, the main onset of shaking. And that's because the waves have had time to spread out. And so they're feeling that initial wave come through, but it's very subtle. It just kind of messes with your inner ear a little bit. It makes the ground sway a little bit. And then you feel those secondary waves that come through that cause the shaking. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance about what you feel during an earthquake and you know where you are. So depending on where you are, it could feel jolty, it could feel rolling, it could feel some combination of those things. Or you might not feel it at all, whereas your neighbor down the street might feel it because, say, you're walking around on the first floor of your house and they're, you know, laying in bed on the second floor of their house. So lots of different factors into what we feel. Yeah. And and so it's fascinating for you folks who are listening or watching tonight. You may remember if you live in North Carolina, the Sparta earthquake that happened back in 2020, I think. My years start to come together now. I think it was 2020 or 2021 uh, up in Sparta, where I think it was a 5.2 magnitude earthquake. And uh, Wendy, have you had a chance to kind of look at that one too? I mean, that was a pretty big earthquake. I remember going up there and, and you know, you, you can see we back in our YouTube uh, archive uh, of the day I was up there. I got some some video and and, and talked to um, some folks up there, but um, they were visually some damage up there and a lot of people who were really just kind of honestly freaked out and, and rightfully so because you could actually see the damage from a 5.1, 5.2 earthquake. Yeah, so that it was, you are correct. It was August 9th, 2020, and it was a magnitude 5.1, which is significant. That was the largest earthquake to occur in North Carolina in more than 100 years. So there had been a magnitude 5.2 in 1916. Um, The Sparta earthquake was really fascinating for geologists because it actually broke the surface of the ground. Uh, Earthquakes of that size don't usually um, show up on the surface because earthquakes start deep below. Even if they're shallow, they're still several kilometers down. So there's not enough energy for them to rupture all the way and break the surface. This was the first surface rupturing earthquake on the East Coast that we have ever seen evidence for or seen, you know, and been able to go out and measure, which was exciting. It was terrible to see the damage. But again, an earthquake of that size, you would expect there to be damage. And 
buildings on the East Coast aren't built to withstand earthquake shaking. You know, they're built to withstand the types of hazards that we have more regularly, like hurricanes and snowstorms. So the brick chimneys and those sorts of things are not able to withstand that side to side, uh, side to side shaking that earthquakes produce. So there was a lot of chimney failures, you know, foundation issues with homes and hate to see that kind of damage. But there have been at least 23 times since 1935 that earthquakes have caused damage in North Carolina. So while it doesn't happen all that regularly, it does happen. So North Carolina is also earthquake country. Can you kind of talk about what an earthquake swarm is and maybe what's going on right now in the western portions of North Carolina? Earthquake swarms are a special sort of earthquake sequence. So I want to start by talking about kind of the regular earthquake sequence. What we're used to seeing is that you have an earthquake and that's followed by a bunch of smaller earthquakes called aftershocks. And we call that big earthquake the main shock. When you have an earthquake swarm, what happens is there is no main shock. All of the earthquakes are around the same size. There's no kind of bigger one followed by a lot of smaller ones. It's just earthquakes that are happening in a general you know, location nearby each other that are around the same magnitude over a, a relatively short period of time. So is seven earthquakes a swarm? I would say probably yes, because that's you know more than usually happen in that area in a short period of time. But when we see earthquake swarms and places like California or Nevada, it's thousands of earthquakes sometimes that are happening. So they're small magnitudes. You know, I think the largest one, what, what was it? Like a magnitude 3.2. Most of them so, have yeah. been magnitude yeah. twos and going down to about 1.8. So they've been relatively small magnitude. This doesn't mean that they're leading up to something bigger. Uh, like Frank said earlier, there was an earthquake swarm that started in December of 2021 in South Carolina in Kershaw County. And there were more than 60 earthquakes in that swarm, but the largest one was a magnitude 3.6. But, you know, people start to feel shaking pretty regularly, which of course can set you on edge because it's unusual, but it doesn't mean that it's going to lead up to some larger event. What you should think when you feel this is, you know, the same thing, like when there's a thunderstorm and you're like, oh, hurricane season's coming. I should probably start thinking about that because it could happen. This is your reminder that you do live in earthquake country and earthquakes do happen. And even if it's not an earthquake in North Carolina, you know, you felt shaking from the earthquake in Virginia, that 2011 magnitude 5.8. There was wide shaking felt from the 1886 uh, Charleston, South Carolina earthquake. So earthquakes in surrounding states can also cause shaking in areas where you live. So this is just a chance to think about like, how can I be more prepared? What are some things that I should do? You know, luckily earthquake kits look very much like hurricane kits or snowstorm kits, any kind of hazard where you're just kind of thinking through the things that you and your family and your pets might need if you're, you know, stuck in the house for a couple of weeks. So it's just a reminder, um, that we should remember to be prepared for all sorts of different contingencies. That's uh, one of the things I was just thinking is that uh, when you, when you prepare for uh, for a natural disaster, you're preparing for well everything. You know, it, it, there's the basic preparation that you make. You know, th the first three days are on you, uh, food and water for three days, medications and so forth, and things for your pets to do. And that applies, like you said, to not just uh, an earthquake or a hurricane or a tornado. It's it's all of the above. 
or yeah. you know some some other disaster maybe you know maybe a man-made disaster still uh it's something to be prepared for and it's why why we push this preparedness method method message so hard uh, in south carolina and and why scemd our emergency management division does that it's because you know you know the the odds of any one of these disasters hitting you may be relatively small except in south carolina for the hurricane we get one of those about every eight years but uh the the odds of a disaster of some sort affecting you is is uh, more substantial. Yeah. And it's funny because what we're concerned about and what we worry about has a lot to do with what we're exposed to and what we're used to. So my in-laws are here visiting from San Diego and I told them I was coming to do this podcast with you and they were like, for a magnitude 3.6, why? But these are the same people that are worried about coming out here during hurricane season. And I'm thinking, are you, I grew up on the East Coast. Hurricanes, you've got weeks of warning. You know they're coming. You can prepare. You can do all these things. They're used to earthquakes, right? And so they are unconcerned with earthquakes, whereas hurricanes are, are not something they've had to deal with. And so they're more afraid of hurricanes. And so, you know, it's sort of like folks out on the East Coast are, are very concerned about earthquakes. But hurricanes, you know, we're not so worried about that. Those come along all the time. And so I think I just want to allay people's fears and say, Earthquakes are normal. There's like 30 to 40 earthquakes every year in North Carolina. You just may not feel them. So take it, you know, don't be scared. Just be prepared. Remember that there's lots of things that you can do to keep yourself and your family safe from earthquakes, from hurricanes, from all of these potential hazards. And so, you know, that is the message, I think. Um, Don't be scared. Be prepared. That's something that, that we preach all the time because here in the Carolinas, you know, you go from hurricane season to winter storm season. So you should always have that evacuation kit and that safety, that preparedness kit prepared. So um, like you said, Frank, the South Carolina Emergency Management Department does a great job at always advocating for that. And so does North Carolina. So, you know, as Wendy was saying, just just be prepared. Not You don't have to be scared. We, we, we say the same thing in severe weather days. You know, we want you to be prepared, not scared, because if you are prepared, then if something does happen, you have everything covered and you're ready to face whatever earthquake, hurricane, flood, severe thunderstorm, tornado, you're prepared for that. So it is great to, to always be prepared. So Frank, off to you. One of the things we talk about uh, when it comes to this stuff, you mentioned the Charleston earthquake, and uh, I don't think a discussion of earthquakes in the Carolinas uh, can can happen without a a, a talk about the uh, risk of the big one. Uh, you know, in South Carolina, you know, our hurricanes are probably our, our biggest uh, disaster risk. And we, like I said, we get one of those about every eight years. The big one, however, that comes along about every 35-ish years. Uh, the last big hurricane was, uh, was Hugo. So you could be said we're due. Uh, the 1886 Charleston earthquake, that was a 7.1 magnitude earthquake. Um, what is our risk to seeing an earthquake like that happen again? Are we due or do we even know? It's difficult to say. So earthquakes on the East Coast are even, we can't predict any earthquakes. Earthquakes on the East Coast are even harder to forecast because they happen so rarely. And also the faults on the East Coast are not active in the same way that the faults on the West Coast are active. So most earthquakes happen along the boundaries of the tectonic plates. and for the US, that's along the West Coast. That's why we have so many earthquakes in Oregon, Washington, California. Now, along the passive plate boundary, which is the East Coast or the passive aggressive plate boundary, depending on who you talk to, 
um, because there are earthquakes here and they do happen, you know, 5.8 in Virginia, 5.2, 5.1 in North Carolina, the, the 7.1 in uh, Charleston, like earthquakes do happen here. But we don't know where all the faults are. We're not certain how often there are earthquakes on those faults. And so it's really difficult to say how often and they occur and how likely they are to occur. One of the things that's important to note is that the rocks on the East Coast transmit seismic waves better than rocks on the West Coast. So earthquakes on the East Coast are felt far more broadly than similar sized earthquakes on the West Coast. So for instance, there was an earthquake in Napa, it was a magnitude six, and it was felt over a much, much smaller distance than a smaller earthquake, the magnitude 5.8 in Virginia in 2011, which was felt all the way from Eastern Canada down to the tip of Florida and you know over across to even like the Mississippi River Valley. So even with smaller earthquakes on the East Coast, they're likely to be felt over much broader areas and felt by more people. So you're, may, you have the potential to have damage in, in kind of a broader region. Um, it's also important to, to think about the difference between hazard and risk when we talk about earthquakes on the East Coast, because, and I, I like to explain the difference because, you know, we talk about them interchangeably um, oftentimes, but if we, let's think about it in terms of sharks. If there's a shark in the water, that's a hazard. But if you're standing on the beach, your risk of getting bitten by a shark is low, right? So the hazard is there, but you're not likely to be impacted by it. It's similar when we think about earthquakes on the East Coast. They don't happen very often. Big ones especially don't happen very often. So the hazard is pretty low, especially compared to the West Coast. But your risk is actually pretty high because we don't build to withstand earthquakes here on the East Coast. Our population doesn't know in the same way that, say, people that live in earthquake country in California, Oregon, Washington, they know what to do when they feel earthquake shaking. And so people may not be as prepared. Our infrastructure isn't as prepared. And so when one of these very unlikely events does happen, it can cause more damage and devastation just because of the vulnerability of our systems. I didn't answer your question, but that's because I don't know the answer to your question. <laughs> that's okay. That's totally fine. Like, like I said, the, you know, the, the, the rarity of earthquakes in this part of the country make it difficult to assess uh, the return period for a larger one. So uh, I, I understand perfectly if we just don't know because we just don't have enough history. One thing, Wendy, I think we are talking about, especially here on the East Coast with not being as prepared or ready for earthquakes is the great shakeout that occurs every year. And I know South Carolina Emergency Management, I know North Carolina Emergency Management, a lot of local and county governments and officials really participate in this and really encourage it. I've seen in the past with billboards, you know, the great shakeout, and it'll say the day, you know, here's how you can practice. A lot of school systems do that. Uh, so it seems like there is this outreach, and I know that's something that you're involved with a lot is outreach and trying to uh, communicate the, the hazard. So it seems like folks are starting to catch on, especially with this event. Um, and even on social media, you know, folks are asked to take a picture of them um, under a sturdy, sturdy uh, desk or a table or whatever to uh, to keep themselves uh, safe from, from falling things. But it seems like the outreach opportunities and the communication of the hazards is starting to really gain some traction. Yeah, absolutely. And social media has been a huge driver of that. We just have so many more ways to communicate than we did before, right? Like when did podcasts become a thing? It's only been in the last 20 years or so. And so here I am talking to, to you about 
about earthquakes where I wouldn't have had this opportunity before. I talk to people on social media about earthquakes, you know, and and so these ideas can spread and um, really take root in places that they they didn't before. So I know social media has its pros and cons. The interconnectedness of the world has its pros and cons to people, but there's a, an awful lot of good that can come out of it in terms of making sure that we as a a state community, a local community, a global community can really come together and take the lessons that we learn from other places and apply it to the places where we live. So, you know, you see things like the earthquakes in Turkey and you think, oh my gosh, that could happen to places in the United States. What can we do to prepare? You know, you see earthquakes that happen like in Sparta, where even though the damage was more localized, it still displaced families, it destroyed homes. And so you think, okay, how can we come together as a community to make sure that we're more prepared for the next event like this? So, you know, it's there's a lot of good that can come out of that connectedness. One other thing as uh, the Carolinas and you and Maryland and a lot of folks here on the East Coast, um, I guess not a primary concern, but it's always in the back of your mind. What's the threat of a tsunami happening here on the East Coast? I know that you, uh, those are directly connected with earthquakes. So um, maybe talk about a, how tsunamis are formed for those who may not know it and what the risk and the hazard is here for the Carolinas. So I want to lay everybody's mind to ease now. We have very low risk, even in the coastal communities along the East Coast, of having damage from a tsunami. Low risk is not no risk. There are things you know, on the other side of the ocean that could potentially cause tsunamis, but we have very, very low risk here. Uh, tsunamis are generally caused by underwater earthquakes of a very specific type of fault. So in order to cause a tsunami, you have to have the seafloor move upward and that displaces or moves up the water above it. And that water then all flows out in all directions. And that's the series of tsunami waves. And so uh, the types of earthquakes that produce this are generally those megathrust earthquakes that can happen like along the coast of Oregon and Washington or along um, Western South America. They can happen in Alaska, you know, places like that. Occasionally underwater landslides uh, can also cause tsunamis. And those are usually the result of earthquakes as well. So earthquakes and tsunamis tend to go hand in hand, but not every underwater earthquake causes a tsunami. But there are organizations like the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center and other places that are monitoring this all the time. And we do have buoys called DART buoys and other kinds of buoys around the world that are monitoring things like tsunamis. And soon we're hoping to use the cables that go along the bottom of the ocean to help monitor earthquakes and tsunamis in places where we may not have a lot of instruments. So that would give us additional warning time about these potential disasters, these hazards that have occurred in kind of remote places. So all the time that technology is advancing and telecommunications are advancing, we're getting better warnings. And the, you know, the more time that people have to evacuate, the more time people have to prepare, the better the outcome is going to be. So fortunately on the East Coast, we're, that is, we have a lot to worry about. That is not one thing that you should lose sleep over. I wanted to show uh, this graphic here. I'm going to share my screen. This graphic from uh, SCEMD that shows uh, the, the systems of, uh, of faults that we have in South Carolina, the known ones anyway. And uh, just wanted to point this to show this and uh, to illustrate the point that uh, South Carolina is uh, more seismically active than most people think. And, and uh, it's something to think about if you live in South Carolina, uh, because as we've been saying tonight, we do get our earthquakes. The, the big ones 
aren't all that common. Uh, the, the one in, we had the one in Charleston back in 1886, but uh, we get these smaller earthquakes all the time. And uh, we do have uh, several uh, magnitude four and higher earthquakes in our history. So it, it is something we do need to think about and prepare for. And I, I think this map uh, illustrates it fairly well because we have uh, little fault lines all over the place, especially uh, along the what we call the fall line in, in South Carolina, uh, the, where you do have a, a change in elevation and there are a lot of fault lines associated with that. Uh, there's also several in the upstate and we've we've had earthquakes there and into western North Carolina and uh, a few along the low country, of course, some that are that uh, produced the big Charleston earthquake and, and even a few offshore that that uh, might result in perhaps a small tsunami occurring. And uh, another thing to think about is that even a small tsunami would probably be a big deal, especially if it happened at high tide in the Charleston area, because it's they're uh, already at risk to flooding and uh, very vulnerable to flooding uh, along the Charleston County coastline. So even a, a one foot tsunami that occurred at high tide, if it were an astronomical high tide would be a big deal, you know, it would it would cause some pretty sub substantial flooding. So uh, it's, it's uh, something else to think about. And again, this uh, this map, I think, illustrates uh, the risk a little bit better than than uh, a bunch of words might. So uh, keep it in mind and, and uh, do prepare for uh, this this risk. I do have two quick comments on that. The first is SCEMD does a really bang up job of talking about all the different kinds of risks that are happening in South Carolina. In particular, I was I was impressed with their coverage of the earthquake swarm. So shout out to them for doing a great job. And this is just a point of of literal ancient history. These faults were actually formed at the same time the Appalachian Mountains were formed about 300 million years ago. So these are really ancient fault lines. Most of them are buried, so you can't see them on the surface. And so when earthquakes are happening, they're usually reactivations of these faults moving very, very slowly. And I just think that's so cool, you know, that the earth doesn't forget. The earth is remembering the formation of the Appalachians all those years ago. And then the processes that that tore uh, the land apart and created the, the Atlantic Ocean. So the earth is changing all the time and earthquakes are part of that process. And I think it's just really kind of fascinating to be able to still read the rocks in that way. See, there's another thing we can blame the Appalachian Mountains for, for all you lovers of snow, from the downsloping of the winds that dries out all the snow in the Piedmont. Now you can thank the Appalachian Mountains for the faults there in South Carolina as well. So Frank, we can add another one to the list for, for, mm -hmm. for the Appalachian Mountains. But uh, but anyway, uh, Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you're a great follow on Twitter. So I would love to give you the opportunity to uh, promote your Twitter and any other social media or website that uh, that you are a part of and how folks can uh, stay connected. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I am Dr. Wendy Rocks on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube and Dr. Wendy Roxit on TikTok. So go follow Wendy. She is a, I promise you, a great follow, one that you definitely want to stay connected with. So Wendy, thank you so much. And we want to thank you all for watching and listening tonight. We hope that so we hopefully ease some fears for those who are concerned with earthquakes uh, that have been happening here over the last uh, year or so in the Carolinas. And uh, for now, we will sign off and we'll talk to you here soon. Uh, we'll talk to you back here real soon. Have a good night, everyone.